morning, church. We're excited to be able to worship with you guys this morning. There's a lot going on, a lot of cool things going on in this service, so let's jump right in and worship him.
baptisms that happened this morning. It was an amazing time. We wanted to share that with you. My name is Kathy Ferguson. Um, I lost my husband. It will be two years this March. Um, he fought cancer for 18 months. My name's Bonnie Conlon. I've been coming to North Point for a little over a year now. I have, I, I have carried a sin for, and I can't, I, a long time, a long time. And I prayed about it, and it's just, it's one of those that just, I was never going to lose it. I, I was just never going to lose it, and it was, it was, it was bad. Um, and. September, 20, September 25th, 1920, I was standing in church. We were singing, and all of a sudden, you know, and that's kind of when I pray. I, take, I do take the time sometimes during singing to pray. And all of a sudden, I just, it was overwhelming. I just, um, I, he lifted my sin. God came into my life, and he lifted my sin, and it's gone. It's honestly gone. I've always felt like I wasn't worthy. And the more I came to North Point and listened to the sermons and started reading the Bible and stuff, I, I felt like I was being forgiven. And that helped me to start to heal myself and forgive myself. If I would have stayed where I was before I came here, I don't think I'd, I know I wouldn't be where I was today. Um, my faith just has really grown since I've been here. And after coming to North Point for over a year, um, I started feeling the calling. 
and started thinking, well, maybe I should get baptized. And finally, in December, I had made the decision, okay, I'm going to get baptized in January. And I came to the, the service on that Sunday, and Rick's up there giving the uh, sermon, and he says, if you're thinking about getting baptized in January, don't wait. <laughs> and it just hit me, like, wow. It came through to him for that. But I still waited till January because it was important to me to have my family present. Josiah, Naomi, I want to be baptized because it represents that I trust and serve God. So I can take the first step to being, to being with Jesus and God in heaven. When you stand in water and you go under, when you go under, that represents God dying. And when you come out of the water, it, it shows when he rose again. Gilbert Evans 5. So, Gilbert, remember that day when mommy was, everyone was being loud? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. And so I was, so I was reading, I was trying to do my devotions, and I kept saying, shh, you got to be quiet. And what did I do and eventually, because no one would be quiet? I just read it out loud. Yeah, because you couldn't hear yourself in your head. So I read out loud, what is something that God's asked you to do that you haven't done yet? And I said baptize. Because um, he saved me um, from sin. Being baptized is important to me because it's an outward symbol of what I feel in my heart, that I am forgivable. Even though I'm a sinner, I am forgivable. And he has forgiven me. And I have accepted him into my life. Uh, Bonnie, I just want you to repeat uh, what Peter said in, uh, in Matthew 16. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. The Son of God. He's my Savior. He is my Savior. Bonnie, because of that confession, you're being baptized for the forgiveness of your sin, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's, let's pray for Bonnie right now. Um, God, we thank you so much for Bonnie's decision, for the, her realization, her, the reality that you can forgive anything and that, that you're working in her life. Bless her, watch over her, God. Um, help her walk with you every day of her life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. This is Kathy, my friend. Yeah. Would, would you just, uh, I know Jesus is your Savior, but if you'd just say that, I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he's come down and taken care of all my sin. He's come down and taken care of all my sin. He's my Lord and Savior. He's my Lord and Savior. Because of that, uh, you're being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit.
pray. God, what a party. Uh, what a cool celebration. Thank you for the work that you're doing, the work that you've done on the cross for Kathy. Um, God, walk with her. Let her shine for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Gilbert, can you tell them what your name is? Gilbert. All right. And do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Yes. And do you want to get baptized today? Yes. All right. And I baptize you in the name of the Father. Kind of plug your nose. Kind of plug your nose. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for my boy Gilbert. Thank you for his faith. Help me to be an example for him. <laughs> and help him to follow your will. Amen. Hi, my name is Bob Carr, and this is my daughter, Naomi. Can you say hi? Hi. <laughs> Naomi, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior and forgiver of your sins? Yes. yes. And do you believe that you will live your life to follow after him? Yes. Naomi, because you love Jesus and you follow after him with your heart and you believe that he saved you from your sins, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. strangers, buddy. They're not. Not today. Hey, Josiah. This is Josiah, by the way. Sorry, I took that for granted. Josiah, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Did he die on the cross to forgive you of your sins? Yes. And do you choose to follow him with your life? Yes. Josiah, because you choose to love God, believe in him, to forgive your sins, it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of your Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right, I'm going to pray with you guys. Lord, we, we love you and we thank you that you love us. And I'm grateful that not only are these my children, but they're your children as well. We're grateful for the family that is gathered with us today that you call children as well. And we love you. Thank you for your son that gives us forgiveness of our sins for many generations. And we pray this in your name. Amen.
deeper Christ in me for I've been born again my heart is free the hope of heaven before me the grave behind hallelujah you brought me back to life I won't forget the moment I heard you call my name out of the grip of darkness into the light of grace just like Lazarus oh you brought me back to life where there was dead religion now there is living faith all of my hope and freedom are found in Jesus name just like Lazarus oh
Good morning, North Point. Go ahead and have a seat, if you would. My name is Vic Verschero, and I want to welcome you to North Point. We're so glad you're here. Wasn't though? Weren't those baptisms cool? Oh man, what a what a special way to start the day! And so glad you could be with us to uh, uh, to at least see the video of that. Uh, I was here for the first service, and oh, how special it was! So. Glad you're here, glad you made it out on this uh, great day, and I wanted to begin by asking you, on the left side of the pew is over here, you'll find a black book. If you'd kind of open that up, uh, fill out some information, if you're a guest, if you're uh, um, maybe a, a full regular attender or a member, just go ahead and let us know you're here. We want to make sure that we uh, know that everything's good with your world and uh, that everything is fine. And if you're a guest, uh, maybe listening at home, or, uh, or you want to uh, u- utilize the service, if you would text guest to 833-CHAT-NCC. How'd I do, Rick? Yeah, first service, it was NCG, which is a movie theater. Wow! Um, at any rate, it's 833-CHAT-NCC, and we'd like to invite you to, uh, to send that over there uh, just so we can get the record. Uh, we want to make sure you're connected to a church. And we hope it's this one, but if it's not, we want to get you connected and make sure it's a place where God can do his work and uh, make sure that you feel fulfilled. Um, I want to also, while we're talking about the app, is let you know that inside of our app, please consider downloading it. If you haven't, look at it. Uh, there's, it's just full of all kinds of rich information. There's great stuff for you to, uh, to take a look at in there. Two things I wanted to draw to your attention. One is a catalytic men's event, which is coming up on January 29th. Um, that's going to be a great day. Jake Boss is the coach, the head coach of the Michigan State University baseball team. He, he and his dad are kind of legendary in, this, in these, uh, these parts, and uh, he is a great, great person. I happen to know him uh, fairly well, and I just couldn't imagine a better speaker for that event. If you haven't signed up for it, sign up. It's just a few dollars to attend, and all that's going to do is help pay for the stakes we're serving that day. So we're going to grill up some steaks and treat you right. Uh, it's going to be uh, in the afternoon, I believe. So take a look at that. Make sure you consider it. Men, look, I know you got a lot of things you can do, but, but uh, this is a chance to come alongside other men and maybe uh, have a chance to get to know some other people in the church. It'll be worthwhile. Guarantee it. Also, uh, grief share. If you uh, know of someone that might benefit from being a part of grief share, it's starting back up uh, on February 7th. There are some great um, opportunities to come together and to share uh, with each other. If you, if you personally are in need or if you know somebody, would you pray about it? Let them know about it. Um, there's great things that can happen, and God can uh, use all kinds of uh, relationships in amazing ways uh, along the way. Now, if you uh, came to church expecting uh, an offering plate to be passed, we don't do that. That was so pre-pandemic. Um, we actually now uh, have some boxes in the very back. If you have an offering, a, a gift that you want to give to the church, give to God's ministries, we'd invite you to do that at the end on your way out. There are two uh, big tall boxes back there. If you uh, are online uh, or, or uh, maybe a little more technical than us old folks that still write checks, um, we'd, uh, we'd invite you to, uh, to consider going online and texting GIVE to 833-CHAT-NCC. Right? Very good. You, you know, you mess up once and forever. You just aren't the announcement guy, you know? So 
All right. Well, we're going to have a great morning. We've got a great message planned for you. Can't wait. And ladies and gentlemen, from Ohio, the United States of America, it's Rick Rubel. <laughs> Good morning. Um, I can't tell you what a cool uh, day today has been. Um, it's uh, really fun to see people pursue Jesus. And um, little guys and not so little guys. Um, Kathy, that was baptized down here, she's my friend. And uh, it's a really cool thing to just um, to, to have people take steps and to be a part of their lives and see that happen. Hey there, how are you? <laughs> um, the, uh, God's good. God's just good. Um, you, you can pray for me right now because I need to preach in about 20 minutes or less, which I never do. Uh, so uh, we'll get there. We're going to share in a time of communion at the end of the service, and, uh, and that's, that's going to just be really special as well. Hey, um, but, but when we moved here uh, uh, eight and a half years ago, uh, our 19-year-old son at that point in time didn't want to move to Michigan with mom and dad. He was 19, but he had to go someplace because we were leaving our house in Ohio. And so, um, so he moved in with grandpa at my mom and dad's house. Uh, and, and it was great because he was able to spend time with, with my dad, able to help around the house until dad went to Florida. When dad went to Florida to spend time with one of my sisters, our son Joe became, uh, he ended up being able to have run of the house and able to do whatever he wanted, but he had responsibilities in terms of taking care of the house as well. He had to make sure that the lawn was mowed, had to make sure you know, when it snowed that the, that the driveway got shoveled. He had to do all of that stuff that, that comes with owning a home even though he didn't own the home. He was a steward. A steward. Steward's not a name, a word that we use very often. The definition of a steward is a person who, who looks after or manages another person's property. They don't own it, but they take care of it. Um, if I loan my car to someone and they, they borrow it for, you know, for several days or for a week, they're being a steward of my car. If I go on vacation, have somebody, have a kid come stay at our house, they take care of the house, they mow the lawn, they, they, uh, they shovel snow, they take care of the pet, they're a steward of my possessions that are there at the house. If the dog dies, they're going to be accountable for their actions, right? Because with stewardship comes some accountability. They're entrusted with things um, to take care of them. Um, stewardship is used in our current culture most often, um, not in, in a regular everyday language, but it gets used often in uh, conversations about the environment, that we need to be a steward of our planet, that be, uh, if, the, if the planet's gonna live, people say, Plants could survive. We have to take care of it. We have to take care of endangered species. If you if you uh, hike, if you go to national parks, that kind of thing, there there are signs that say "Leave no trace, leave no footprints." You want to be a steward of that particular place so that people can enjoy it in the future. Um, author and entrepreneur John Simley wrote, "The difference between ownership and stewardship is that you can do what you want with what you own." When you become a steward, you recognize that you have just as much control as an owner, but a responsibility that's greater than yourself. 
We're in this series called Always Hustling. Um, we live in a world where it seems like we're always, hus always hustling, always trying to get ahead financially, always trying to do a little bit more, always trying to keep up, always trying to do all of those things. And this series is designed to kind of change the way that we think because that, that concept of always hustling to win the race, we can never win that race. You can never have enough if you're trying to get more. You can never keep up with everybody else because that's always going to change. It's a race that you can't win. This series about, is about helping us see clearly from God's perspective and to adjust our lives, our possessions, our everything to reduce that burden of trying to always hustle, of feeling like we have to always hustle. Um, if, if I can give some context to today's message in the midst of this series of Always Hustling, it's this. Um, bringing your first fruits, which is what we talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message because it's a core piece of, of this series. Bringing your first fruits is a natural response of love. It's what we do because God loves us and we love him, that we give, we give to him first. Talked about it a little bit on the podcast this past week, but, but that whole concept of first fruits is really tied to the reality that God has rescued us, that he saved us like he saved the, the children of Israel, and that the firstborn, that that, that that was a reminder, to give their first fruits was a reminder that God had saved their firstborn. Bringing your first fruits is a natural response of love. Bringing your tithe, your financial gift that you give each week, that you give back to God, whether it's in person, electronically, whatever, that's a deliberate, consistent reminder to us that everything that we have comes from God. When we give regularly, it reminds us this is from God. God is the one who provides. But being a steward is, the re is about the reality of ownership of anything that we possess. We, we don't own any of it. It's not ours. We can't take it with us when we die. You can't take your car in your coffin, right? You, you can tweet that if you want, all right? You can't take your car. We can't take it with us when we die. The issue, recognizing that we don't own any of our stuff, any of our money, is what we do with it. That's what stewardship is about. That concept of stewardship it works into every aspect of our life, into our time, into our talent, into our treasure. Everything that we have, um, we need to recognize that God has entrusted us with that, and we need to be a good steward of it. Sometimes we, we kind of compartmentalize and we say, oh, you know what? I'm being a really good steward of my money. I give to the church or whatever it is, but my time's mine. What I, what I do with my, with my talent, that, that's mine. Or, or we might say, you know what? I give, I work in kids' world. I, I give to the church, to the Lord, through some service kind of things, but my money's mine. That's, that's mine to do with what I want. Stu this concept of stewardship, it's, it, it reaches into every area of our life, into our time, into our talent, into our treasure. Some of us think, you know, how, how can I be a steward? I, you know, I have a degree in microbiology. How, what can I do with that? I'm an airplane pilot. What can I do with that? I'm, I'm a nurturer. What can I do with that? I just want to say this. Everything that we have has been entrusted to us by God. 
our, our preparation academically, if you've gone to you know, school, that kind of thing, if you have particular skill, the ability to fix things or to repair cars, whatever that is, everything that we have has been given to us by God, and we're a steward of what he has entrusted to us. Um, the, the, um, the, the concept that we're going to look at really comes from a, a parable that Jesus told, and I want, us to, I want us to read that together. It's an extended passage of scripture, but if you've got your Bibles, take them out, turn to Matthew 25. If, you, if you're in the app, you can go there. Feel free to ask questions on the app down at the bottom as well. You can look on screen as well. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew 25. Jesus said, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, or uh, the word is talent there in some other uh, translations, each according to his own ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold, five talents of gold, went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more, five talents more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five bags more. His master replied, well done, good, faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's, that's a scary story, isn't it? The responsibility that we have as stewards. It's interesting that that parable, um, Luke records it as well in Luke 19, but there are a number of details that are different in Luke 19 and, and different in Matthew 25. Um, that it's not quite exactly the same. The amount of money is different. It, um, it, uh, I read in New International Bags, but the, the word there is talent. It's a measurement that's there. In Luke, it talks about minas, which is a different kind of a measurement. The number of servants who were entrusted. In Matthew, it's three servants. In Luke, it's 10 servants. In Matthew, they get different amounts. In Luke, um, all 10 get the exact same amount. Now, when you look at that, you might think, oh, Jesus just told this story. He told this parable one time, and Matthew and Luke 
they, they just got confused. You know, one of them was talking to somebody and distracted and he wrote it down with the wrong stuff. I don't think that that's the case. I think it makes a whole lot more sense to, to, to believe that Jesus actually told the story two different ways at two different times because what Luke describes and what Matthew describes in terms of when it happened, um, they describe it as two different times as well. I think in reality, what probably happened was Jesus had a different kind of audience the first time that he told the parable in Matthew 25 than he did when he told the parable in Luke. I think when Jesus told that parable that Matthew describes, probably the people who were around at that point in time had a lot more resources because a talent of gold, uh, scholars say a talent uh, weighed about um, either 75 pounds some scholars think 100 pounds. Some scholars think 139 pounds of gold. The, the, the amount of money that they were talking about was somewhere between two and a quarter and four million dollars in today's terms that the master entrusts to his servants. Um, in, in Luke, in, in Luke 19, the measurements minor, which is a much smaller measurement, um, in, in Matthew, that the, what some scholars say, well, the money doesn't translate exactly into where we are right now, it's, but it was about a year's wages, how much you might make in a year. Um, if I was making a two and a quarter, a million a year, that, I'd be, that, that'd be nice, right? Someone say yes. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be good, okay. Um, minus was about three months' wages. Um, the, by, by weight in gold, probably closer to $30,000. I think that the audience that Jesus was talking to were, were two different audiences. One had a lot of resources, and so to say a talent of gold, that was like, oh yeah, I get that. They invested a lot. Um, but yeah, that's the world that I live in. And the second audience, uh, it would have been like, that was way unrealistic. And so when he talked about minus, it was like, oh, yeah, I get that. You know, I, I don't make that much. And so that, uh, that um, made sense. Um, what, what can we take away from this parable? Um, what can we apply that helps us bring some order to our lives so that we're not about that business of always hustling, so that we're not running ourselves ragged and, and not making any progress uh, in our lives? Let me give you six takeaways really, really quickly this morning that I think come from this parable. The first is this. God gave something to everyone. Whether it was talents or minus, God, the, the three servants, everybody got something. In Luke, the 10 servants, everybody got something. Um, every, God gave something to everyone, and God has given something to you. He has entrusted to you time, talent, and treasure for which we, we need to be accountable. Um, that the amount of, of wealth that the master gave to the servants was a huge amount. It, it was significant. God has given you significant resources to use for, for his kingdom, for his glory. Um, the, the question is, what has he invested? What has he entrusted with you? Do, do just a little inventory. What has God given me uh, in, in terms of financial resources? What has God given me in terms of talents and abilities, in terms of training and, and um, just the way that my mind works? What has God given you in terms of time that you can use for him? Um, don't believe it 
if you think that you're not smart enough, that you're not talented enough, that you're not that rich, that you don't have that much time. It's not true. That's not what Jesus teaches in this parable. Second thing is this. Everybody is accountable. Everybody in the parable was accountable for their actions, for their stewardship. Good stewards were honored and rewarded. The, the steward that buried the talent, he was punished. He was humiliated. Um, the, God, God holds us accountable for what he entrusts to us. Um, Recognize that we're going to be held accountable for the resources that God has given us. For our, um, in every area of our life, God is going to hold us accountable for those resources that he's entrusted. The third thing is this. The relationship of the servants with the master was proven by what they did. They showed their trust. They showed the depth of the level of relationship they had with the master by what they did with the money. It's interesting to me that the, that the servant who was given five talents of gold, five bags of gold, um, that it says he immediately went out and started investing it. He had a relationship with the master that it made sense. The master gave him a massive amount of money. And he knew right away, okay, this is what I need to do because of his relationship with the master. The, th the third servant, the servant that got one talent, um, what he did reflected his understanding, his relationship with the master as well. He knew about him, but he didn't know him. Um, we flesh out our relationship with God by what we do with the resources that God gives us. It's not enough to just simply believe that God's there. We've got to put into action um, uh, our belief in God. Our relationship causes us to take action. Um, it didn't matter um, what they thought about the master. What mattered was what they did, whether they were diligent, whether they were faithful, whether they worked hard to fulfill the master's agenda, not their own. That was proven by what they did. Um, the fourth thing is this. Uh, well, uh, let me, before I jump to the fourth thing, let me just say this. We talk about, we, we define a, a disciple of Jesus this way. We say a disciple of Jesus is somebody who follows Jesus, somebody who's changed by Jesus, and somebody who pursues the mission of Jesus. It's, it's, if we're a disciple, it's demonstrated by what we do. It gets fleshed out in our lives. The fourth thing is this. Everyone took a risk. Everyone in this story took a risk. The master took a massive risk in, in, in entrusting incredible resources to his servants. The servants that got those resources, that developed them, they took a risk as well. What happens if they had failed? What happened if they would have failed? I had a conversation with somebody in between services that they said, what happens if the master would come back and that two-talent guy would have said, you gave me two talents and I got nothing to show for it. I said, well, that's not the story that Jesus told, and we don't know exactly what the answer to that is, but I've got to believe that Jesus would have said, well done, good and faithful servant. You tried, you tried to use what was given to you and multiply that, and it didn't happen, but you were, you were actively about the business of using what was entrusted. What the master got really upset about was the guy who just took it and buried it. And that guy took a risk too. Uh, understand that he thought, you know what? 
God's gonna, the master's gonna understand. The master's gonna forgive. The master's gonna be okay if I just give back to him what he's given to me. He took a risk too. Everybody in the story took a risk. The, um, if I personalize this now, the question is, what risk are you willing to take? Are you willing to take the risk and say, oh, God's gonna understand when I stand before him that I didn't X, Y, Z, that I didn't develop this talent, that I, that I used all my time for myself and I didn't really have time for him, that I, that I didn't use the, the physical resources, the financial resources. For, God's gonna understand that. He's gonna get that. Are you willing to take that risk? Or are you willing to take what God has given you and say, you know what? I realize that if I take this and invest it in the kingdom, if I invest my time, my energy, my, my talent, my treasure, whatever it is, it could fail. I could mess up. I could lose it all. It could go the wrong place. Am I willing to take that risk and trust that God will lead through that process? Everybody took a risk. Fifth thing is this. Fear will not save you. Fear will not save you. That last servant said, I knew you were a scary master. I knew that you received things that, that you, didn't, you didn't really have your hand in. I knew that you were hard, that you, you, know, that you, you um, reaped where you didn't sow. I knew that you would hold people accountable. And that, that fear that he had didn't make it right. It didn't fix things. It didn't solidify that relationship. That guy knew, knew the, the master's position. He knew his power. He knew the expectation. Um, a fear of God, a fear of disappointing God will not be enough when we stand before God on the judgment day. It's gotta, our, we've got to have a relationship with him. We've got to know him. And when we know him, we've got we've to do what he's ask us to do. We've got to take what he's entrusted to us and use it for his glory. The sixth thing is this, and it, it's really the heart of the message. The purpose of the parable was that we need to actively steward what we have until the master returns. We need to actively steward what we have until the master returns. This, is, this really is the most important of all the takeaways. We need to manage well the resources that God has given us. How how is it that I know that that, that, that truth is there? Um, Luke 19, uh, when Luke describes this parable, this is what he says. Um, while, the, while they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear, was going to appear at once. They thought every was, everything was gonna change in a moment and they didn't need to be responsible for what they'd been given. The... The purpose of the parable was to teach one truth, and that was that there was gonna be accountability for our actions, that the master was gonna entrust things to us and that we needed to be responsible for those things. Um, parables are designed to communicate one truth, and that was the truth. Um, just understand this as I, really, I kind of land the plane. God has given us so much, so much time. So much talent, so much treasure, so much teaching. We can't fritter it away. We can't sit on our hands. We can't 
do nothing with what God has given us. We can't, we can't take all of that and be content to use it however we please, to use it just for our own comfort, for our own good, and miss what God wants us to do for the kingdom. Too much is stake. Too much is at stake, both now in our, in, at this moment in time and in the future if Jesus doesn't come back first. Too much is at stake for our kids, for our grandkids, for the people around us. Um, if we're to be good stewards, the question for us is what would I do? What, what does God want me to do with what he's given to me? Man, I, I hope the Holy Spirit's talking to you. Um, I, I don't want to connect dots that aren't there. I don't, want to, I, I don't want to give too many applications, but understand that anything that God has given to you, he wants you to use for his kingdom. He wants you to use that so his kingdom can grow. Um, we have so much. It's not ours. It belongs to God. It's his to give, and it's ours to manage. Kingsley Manuel wrote, everything that comes from God must go back to God. They become dysfunctional when they remain with man. Whatever blessing you don't return back to God in praise turns to pride. It's easy for us to say, oh, I've got all this stuff. I've created this. It's mine. I've done this. It's all from God. It needs to be given back to him. Luke 16 um, says this. Whoever can, be in, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in, handli in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? The reminder today is this. We live in our grandfather's house. It's not ours. We've got to be faithful. We've got to be good stewards. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, God, for how it speaks to us. And Lord, our desire is that, that, we would, um, that we would honor you with our actions, that we would be those good stewards. God, that as we handle those resources that you've given us, that it would draw people to you and would change eternity. That's our prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Rick. We, uh, we're gonna have a time of communion right now, and, I, and if, if you didn't notice when you came in, the elements are back on the back table. If you wanna step up and grab those real quick, uh, you can do that. And while they're doing that, I, I, I wanna... <laughs> I want to hopefully suggest that this is a safe place uh, to admit certain things. And um, I had an aha moment over Christmas. And some of you, I'm, I'm afraid, might say, well, Vic, what took you so long? Or you didn't know that. But I thought it was kind of cool. And, um, and, I, and I, wanted, I wanted to bring it up today when, they, when, when I was asked to lead communion. I, I, thought, I thought this was something that that was meaningful to me when I first understood it. So when we're children, we get told a lot of stories and we, and we get read stories of the Bible and the, the stories are sometimes made a little bit more simpler for us as kids. And as a child, I remember the story, the angel came to the shepherds in the fields that were tending their flock and they, they announced that there was a baby that was born 
um, and you'd find the baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And I never really thought at all much about swaddling clothes. I thought it was one of those terms in the Bible that, well, it's just, a, it's just another name for a blanket. I, ne- I never understood that. But over this holiday, it was told to me, revealed to me, what swaddling clothes were. You see, you see, at the time, it was important that, that the, the, the baby sheep, the lambs, when they were born, they would be inspected to find the most perfect lambs. And then what they would do is they would wrap them in what's called swaddling clothes. And those lambs would be tended by the shepherds, special shepherds, that would hang on to those lambs and care for them to keep them protected And they'd be dressed in those swaddling clothes until such time when it was time for that sacrifice to be made. And those those sheep then would be sacrificed to eliminate the difference, the separation from us, from God. All the sins could be atoned for. And there you have it. For the first time, it was clear to me our Lord and Savior, our precious Lamb. The sacrifice for our sins, for the things that separate us from God. That precious Lamb was born in a manger. The the shepherds knew where to go to find the manger and the swaddling clothes because there was only one place. It was where those special lambs were brought to wrap them in swaddling clothes. And now, all these years later, all these years later, we come to understand that the most precious child, the most perfect child, was wrapped in swaddling clothes for you and I. Think about the powerful gift that that is. Think about what that means. And 30-some years later, Jesus and his disciples would be in the upper room they would gather together and Jesus would take and he would take a piece of bread and he would hold that bread up and he said this is my body eat this in remembrance of me Jesus then took a took a class of a chalice and he picked it up and it he said he said this This is my blood. I want you to drink it in remembrance of the sacrifice that I make. Do this in remembrance of me. What a privilege it is for us to do something like communion, to think of the most precious lamb that came to this world to rid us of our sins. I don't know what God has on your heart today or what you're dealing with, but God doesn't want to be separated from you. He gave each and every one of us a path, a path to find Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. The most precious, precious sacrifice you can ever imagine. And God did that for us. Jesus laid down his life for you. Don't walk past that gift. Seize it. Understand it. 
grab a hold of it and live it because God has special plans for you and your life. God loves you. God bless this day. God bless you.